Suspense. And the producer of Radio's Outstanding Theater of Thrills, the master of mystery and adventure, William N. Robeson. Among the many misconceptions under which we live and have our being is the one that states that there is no such thing as the perfect crime. The open files of unsolved murders in every police department across the land give the lie to this proposition. However, it is true that the criminal more often than not slips up on the tiniest of details and ends up alone in a tiny room with a tiny gas pellet dropping into a tiny pan of water under his chair. We wonder if you can spot the detail Dort Sharples overlooked as you listen to Mr. Glenn Ford starring in Murder and Aunt Delia, a tale well calculated to keep you in... Ever stick out your thumb and pull in a million-dollar plum? Well, I'm the little Jack Horner that did it. Only my name isn't Horner. It's Dort Sharples. I was hitchhiking along Highway 70 across the Arizona desert heading for L.A. It was August, and I was hot. Oh, man, it was hot. It was so hot the lizards were fanning themselves. There wasn't much traffic. Nobody would stop. I'd walked about eight miles outside a little burg called Quartzsite, and I was tired. I was... Tired and sore. Finally, a black sedan come along. I was all set to holler cuss words at it for not stopping when suddenly this guy slows down. It was a young guy, about my age. He was alone. Hop in. Oh, thanks. I sure appreciate this, man. It's all right. I could use some company. Yeah. yeah you know, for a second there, I didn't think you were going to stop. I wasn't, frankly. Yeah, well, guy has to be careful nowadays, huh? You know what changed my mind? Hmm? Maybe you won't like this, but it suddenly struck me that you look like me. Yeah, I guess maybe I'd do it that, now that you mention it. What if that was me walking along, I thought? Besides, if you got a face like mine, it must be an honest face. <laughs> <laughs> hey, maybe you got something there. <laughs> you going to Blythe? What's that? The next town, across the Colorado. Oh, you know, no, I'm going clear into L.A. I happen to be going through L.A. on my way to Santa Barbara. If you want to spell me at the wheel, we can make Los Angeles by a little after midnight. Brother, you got yourself a co-pilot. By the time we crossed the river into California, I learned the guy's name was John Braley and that he was going to visit his invalid aunt. Now, this aunt didn't own all of Santa Barbara, not quite. And the guy didn't volunteer this information. I had to kind of probe it out of him. Between Blythe and Desert Center, an idea began to percolate. And not just from the heat, either. Say, I bet your aunt's going to be awfully glad to see you, Braley. Say, how long did you say they'd been? I was ten when I left. Oh, yeah. yeah, that would make it 17 years. You see, my mother died when I was three, and Aunt Delia took me in. Mm. Does she know you're coming? Yeah, I sent her a wire. Oh, good. You think she'll uh, recognize you? <laughs> I doubt it. The reason I'm going back, her husband died about a month ago. Mm, that'd be your uncle, huh? Uncle by marriage. I never thought of him as an uncle. My aunt married him when I was nine. He and I never got along. That's why I left Aunt Delia's place. You mean you ran away? No, another aunt in Delaware took me. For a while, Delia and I wrote to each other, but her husband made her quit. He sounds like a first-rate heel. Yeah, I always thought so. Anyway, what with school and then the army and getting a job afterwards, why, I just lost track of Aunt Delia. 
You uh, got a lot of relatives in the East? No, no. My other aunt died when I was 21. Delia's the only relative I got left. Oh, I guess that means you'll be coming in something pretty good someday, huh? I suppose so. This may sound funny, but the idea sort of scares me. Yeah. <laughs> I wish somebody'd scare me like that. <laughs> <laughs> I kept pumping him until I could have written his autobiography. Yes, I mean autobiography. I stored away facts about his uncle he hated, how Braley used to like to draw pictures when he was a kid, how he got his only spanking when he was eight for spilling ink on his aunt's favorite tapestry, how he wouldn't eat peas, got sick on enchiladas at the Santa Barbara Fiesta in 1935. Everything. Could I remember it, man? You know what people used to say? They used to say to me, you know, with your memory, boy, you could, you could be a good lawyer. Yeah. But, but that takes work. And just east of Indio, before Highway 70 runs into 99, I figured I was thoroughly briefed. You want me to drive a while, Sharples? No, 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 thanks. It's okay. Unless you want to take over. No, no. Technically, maybe I shouldn't be driving at all. Oh, I've got one of those mail-order driver's licenses, but I doubt if I could pass the California test. You see... Hey, hey, wait a minute. Hey, you notice something funny? No, what? I think we're getting a flat. Oh, no. Yeah, sure. This car kind of rides funny. You feel it? Oh. You know what I think it is? I think it's the right rear tire there. Well, this would have to happen clear out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, you said it. I tell you, maybe we better stop and take a look, huh? I don't even know where the spare's any good. Look, I may be imagining things. I don't know, but we better make sure. I'll check it in just a minute. There's not a soul in sight either way. Now, well, we won't need any help. Well, I hope not. H how is it? Uh, maybe you better come back here. Okay. I'm sure glad I've got you along. I'm not much good at... Oh, come to think of it, there may not be any tools in the car. I, b I bought this car in a hurry off a used car lot. Well, I've got all the tools I need, Braley. Yeah. It doesn't look flat to me. No? Come here. Lean down here and take a look, huh? Still doesn't seem. I was right about the tools, wasn't I, Braley? I put the blackjack back in my pocket and dragged Braley off the highway. I put him in a ditch. I made sure he was dead. Then I changed clothes with him and covered his body with sand and brush and all of the stuff that was laying around. I was back in the sedan on my way. Still, no other car was in sight. I adjusted the rear-view mirror so I could see my reflection. I watched my lips move as my voice said, Dort Sharples? Never heard of him. My name is John Braley. I pulled into L.A. about 2 a.m. I waited around until morning, though, before I went to Rena's apartment, huh? See, I wanted her to be real wide awake when I told her my idea. But, Dort, it sounds crazy and dangerous. For a million bucks, we can afford to be crazy. But suppose somebody finds out you aren't this guy, Brady. Look, who will know? Huh? Who, who's going to know? His aunt hasn't seen him since he was a kid. There's no other relatives, no connections on the coast. N none back east, either. But are you sure you can carry it off, Dort? Rena, will you listen, listen to me a minute? I know everything about that guy. I, I even know when he lost his first baby tooth. But what do you want me to do? I'm going to... You just stay where I can get in touch with you, you hear? 
He'd be ready to come up to Santa Barbara. How long will you have to wait to come into this money? The old lady may live for years. No. No, I don't think so. She's pretty well along. She's an invalid. You know, uh, a lot of things can happen to an old lady. Well... No, no, well's about it. It's a real break. Now, I might have done it alone. I could have done it alone. But I thought of you, kid. Real sweet of you, Dort. Real sweet. Yeah, sure. And we're partners, huh? Yes, Dort. Great. Now, look, uh, kid, listen, one thing very important. You lay off that Dort stuff from now on, huh? From now on, you call me John Braley. Kiss me, John. Well, it didn't take me long to cover the hundred miles to Santa Barbara. The uh, reunion with Aunt Delia was, well, it was quite touching. Yeah, I sat on a little low stool, you know, right in front of her, right by her wheelchair, drinking tea at the housekeeper, this Mrs. Parker. She kept pouring it, so... And we talked, oh, we talked over old times. Oh, Johnny, it's so good to have you home again. Johnny. Johnny. <laughs> you know, nobody but you ever called me that. You remember the kids used to call me Jack? Or Curly, mostly. Oh, and how angry you used to get. You <laughs> hated to be called Curly. Yeah, and when I got into a fight about it that time, remember with Pudge Martin? Mm -hmm. You sent me to bed without any supper, and then you took away my paints and my crayons for a whole week. Well, not for a whole week, oh, Johnny. Yes, I relented on Sunday afternoon. Well, well see, it seemed like a week. Oh, you did love to draw. You know, I've saved some of your drawings. I was looking at them only the other day, and... Oh, that must be Mr. Crittenden. Crittenden? Yes, my attorney. He's been just wonderful to me since your uncle died. Handles all of my affairs. I've asked him to come up to meet you. Oh? Uh -huh. Well, I hope you don't mind. No. That's no, all right, no. Mrs. Parker. Don't bother. Come right in, Bryce. Hello, dearie. Right. My, you look positively radiant. Well, well. Is this the prodigal nephew? Yes. Bryce, this is Johnny. Or should I say, Mr. Critton, uh, my nephew, John Brady. How do you do? How do you do? So this is Charles. My boy, let me warn you that I know every infamous detail of your crime-ridden career. Mm -hmm. That is, up until the time you were ten years old. Now, Brian. Now, well, I'm afraid, Andy, that Mr. Uh, Crittenden has an ipso facto case against me. <laughs> <laughs> I offer this tapestry. That's going to be Exhibit A. Take a look. Uh, well, what do you mean? Well, if you examine it real closely, you will see traces of a stain. Now, Andy, isn't this where I spilled ink in... Um... Wasn't it 1935? Why, Johnny, do you still remember that? I certainly do. And you spanked me with a hairbrush. <laughs> the accused has paid his debt to society. Case is made. Oh, Johnny, that stain is worth more to me than the tapestry itself. Oh, now, come on. I now. think she means it, John. Your arrival has already made her look ten years younger. Oh, how absolutely absurd. In fact, I think you could get up out of that chair this minute and trounce me soundly at a game of tennis. <laughs> <laughs> There wasn't any doubt about it. I was in. And Delia's health improved so rapidly, I realized I'd have to think of a way to... I had to kind of speed things up. That meant I had to get Mrs. Parker, the housekeeper, out of the house for good. So I began devising little things to make her appear uh, inefficient. Now, Auntie wasn't supposed to have spices, so I sneaked into the kitchen and I doctored the food with some pepper. <laughs> 
After Mrs. Parker set the heating unit for the night, I got up and I turned it off. And he woke up freezing. And Mrs. Parker became so confused and upset that she began helping me out by forgetting things and making mistakes all on her own. Johnny, I know Mrs. Parker means well, but... Well, as Dr. Davis says, I've got to have someone I can depend on at all times. Yeah. Well, I haven't liked to say anything, but after all, she's been with you for a long time. But, well, the poor old soul, I think she does need a rest. Oh, dear, it's going to be so difficult to tell her. Well, I'll attend to that, Auntie. And I'll see about getting another housekeeper. An intelligent, capable, younger woman. <laughs> Mr. Braley? Oh, yes. How are you, yeah, Mr. Braley? I'm, I'm great. Now, listen, kid. I'm calling from Santa Barbara. I'll get up here right away. Check in at the San Martin Hotel as Rena Derwin. And you wait there till I call you. We're in, baby. But good. Listening to William N. Robeson's production of Murder and Aunt Delia, starring Mr. Glenn Ford. A tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. By the time Rena arrived in Santa Barbara, I'd fixed up a set of references of her ability and character that would have flattered Florence Nightingale and Susan B. Anthony. Orena came out for an interview, pretending she was sent by an employment agency I was supposed to have called. Oh, she made a terrific impression on the old lady. At a nod from me, Andy hired Rena on the spot, and Mrs. Parker left with a cardboard suitcase, a month's pay, red eyes, and the sniffles. Well, after she got Andy to bed that first night, Rena and I met on the veranda. How did I do, Doris? The name. Nobody's the name. around to yeah, hear. Look, just don't take any chances. Now, you, you call me Mr. Braley all the time. All right, Mr. Braley. How did I do? Perfect. Now, come on, let's, let's take a walk over by the bluff there away from the house, huh? This is sure some layout. Looks great in the moonlight. Yeah, it'll all be ours, baby. Yeah. How are you going to do it? Do what? You know. Mm-hmm. Now, right up there ahead is a cliff. You see it? There it is. Now, that's a 200-foot drop under those rocks down there. You're going to push her off the cliff? No. No, nothing as brutal as that. Huh? No, it's an accident, you see. You take Aunt Delia for an airing in her wheelchair, and as you're pushing the chair, you trip, and you fall. The chair starts rolling, you run after her, but poor Andy goes over the edge. <laughs> and uh, you're hysterical with shock, of course. Yeah, I am. I don't know. What's wrong with you taking Andy for an airing? Look, look, if I could do it, what would be the point of you being here at all? Hmm? You're just an employee, a brand new one. And you've got no reason on earth to kill her for her dough, but... I mean, they just might get that idea if I was wheeling her. Yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, and that's why it's important for us not to have very much to do with each other. That's going to be difficult, George. Uh, Mr. Braley. No one can see us now, honey. Oh, baby, can't you wait? No. Right. Just one kiss, please. Mm. 
The next afternoon, Auntie and I were in the library. I was trying to look interested in the scrapbook she was pawing through. I, I hoped she wouldn't notice how fidgety I was. My eyes are so weak now, Johnny, but I know every detail of these just from memory. Oh, here you are on your first tricycle. Mm. <laughs> well, I'll be darned. Was I ever that small? It doesn't seem possible, does it? <laughs> oh, here's what I was looking for. The cow you drew when you were nine. Hmm. Oh, you were quite the artist. Yeah. Hey, this is <laughs> this is great. I was a, a, a what do you call it? Surrealist? <laughs> <laughs> I colored it green, huh? Look at that. A green cow on purple grass. Well, it certainly caused a sensation at your school. <laughs> There's a wonder I wasn't expecting. Oh, Johnny. Oh, I've always been just sick about this picture. One of the few of you and me together. You broke away from it just as the photographer took it. Yeah. Just a blur. What's the cat doing in it? But don't you remember? That Xerxes. What? Oh, you remember? Oh, sure. Old Xerxes the Persian. Yeah, yeah. Oh, gee, the, you know the fun he and I used to have together? <laughs> of course, I used to tease him a lot when you weren't looking. Yeah, but he sure was a nice, uh... What, what's the matter, Auntie? Johnny, are you trying to fool your old auntie? What do you mean? Well, you were frightened plumb out of your wits by cats. If Xerxes so much as brushed up against you, you'd scream bloody murder. That's why you jumped when the picture was taken. I did? I did. Yeah, didn't I? Don't yeah. you remember? Dr. Thompson said it was a deep-seated phobia, and you'd probably have it all your life, like Napoleon. Did it ever go away, Johnny, this fear of cats? Well, yeah, it went away. I mean, most of it went away. Guy, after all, he, guys just, he doesn't like to remember what a coward he was when he was a kid. Maybe she was satisfied with that explanation. But I thought she watched me a lot closer after that with her dim old eyes. Irene and I couldn't put it off much longer. I might pull a real boner. That night, Irene and I set it up. I said, tomorrow, right after breakfast. Oh. You'll come with me, won't you? Honey, it's better if I'm not around. You don't have to be right there. Just be where I can see you. I couldn't do it all alone. I don't know if I can... All right, all right, all right. Just, just don't lose your nerve, kid. That's all. Just don't lose your nerve. I didn't sleep much that night. Well, the next morning after breakfast, Rena and I got the old lady into her wheelchair. Well, there you are, Angie. <sighs> Thank you, Johnny. Oh, my, but isn't it a lovely day? It certainly is, Mrs. Farnham. But I do think I'd better have a scarf over my head. Uh, I'll run upstairs and get one. Would you mind, dear? Hey, there's two scarves right here on the sofa. Oh, never mind, Miss Derwin. There's some down here. Yeah, here now. Which one do you want, Andy? The green and red one or the blue and yellow one? Why, doesn't matter, Johnny. Either one. All right. Let's see now. I think the green and red one... Will go better with that robe you're wearing? Yes. So it will. Yeah, now, doesn't that look nice? All right, let's go, huh? No, wait, I... I've changed my mind. Huh? You mean about going out? Yes, yes. It's so much bother. Bother? Nothing. You need some fresh air. Well, I'll just sit here by the open window. Look, you need some sun. Now, come along, Miss Derwin. Please, Johnny, I don't want to go. I just want to stay here and rest. Please. 
Why, sure. Why, sure, Auntie. Okay, okay. If you don't want to go... Delia finally calmed down, but she still had Rena put her to bed. Then she asked me to drive into town. She wanted me to get her some medicine she was out of. I was, <laughs> you know what I was doing? I was hoping the old lady was maybe coming down with something that would save Rena and me the trouble of that last wheelchair ride. But no. The next morning was cloudy and sultry. When I got downstairs, Rena already had the old girl out on the lawn in her wheelchair. She came over to me and whispered... She just wants to stay there, Dort. No ride. Well, that's tough. That's real tough because she's going anyway. Now, come on, Rena. I suppose she makes a fuss. I think the two of us can handle an old lady in a wheelchair. But if she screams... So she screams. All right. This estate is as isolated as Alcatraz. Come on, come on. Let's get it over with. All right. It's starting to sprinkle. I know it is. Now, come on. Hurry up. Let's finish this thing before we get wet. Miss Irwin, it's starting to rain. Oh, uh, we're coming, Auntie. Oh, I just knew it would rain today. I just knew it. Yes. Yeah. Well... Well, here we go, Auntie. You came just in time. I thought you'd forgotten me. Forget you. Why, don't be silly. Oh, dear, it's really starting to come down. Well, hurry, we'll be so. Johnny, the house is back that way. Johnny, where are you taking me? Just relax, Auntie. Rena, Rena, help me push, will you? Sure. All right, let's make this quick. Johnny, Annie, what are you doing? Stop it. Stop it, Dr. Fuzz. Johnny, do you hear me? I'm frightened. Pastor Rena. You're not my Johnny. Are you? You're not my Johnny. Okay, Rena, let her go. Oh, stop it, please. Please. It was done. I looked over the edge to make sure. Yeah, she was dead, all right. I made Rena tear her hose and skin her knee, rub some dirt on the wound. It was raining hard now. As we got back to the house, I heard a car swinging around the last turn on the grade. It pulled up the driveway by the porch and a man got out. It was Crittenden. Get hysterical, Rena. Come on, limp. Oh, I tried to stop him, Mr. Braley. I tried to. Mr. Crittenden? John, what are you two doing out in this rain? Who was your aunt? Well, something, something awful's happened. I was just going to phone you. Oh, I tried to yeah, catch you. What's her. wrong? I tried. My aunt is dead. Damn. Yes. And it's all my fault. All my Ms. fault. Miss Derwin, stop that. It's not your fault. What happened? Well, Aunt Delia asked Miss Derwin here to wheel her over there so she could admire the view. In this rain? Well, it wasn't raining then. Miss Derwin tripped and the wheelchair coasted downhill. She tried to catch up, but it, it, it well, just plunged over the cliff again. Oh, call an ambulance. Maybe there's still a chance. Well, Crittenden ran down to look over the cliff. I went into the library and phoned the ambulance and, and the police, too, just to make it look good. I was down here, a double shot of bourbon, when the lawyer came in. That poor woman. At least she didn't suffer. Oh, thank heaven for that. Use a drink? No, thanks. Well, I'll never forget that scream. Don't torture yourself. This young woman, what's her background? Oh, Miss Derwin? Why, uh, an employment agency sent her out. She she has wonderful references. Uh-huh. Gentlemen, I, I'm sorry I lost control of myself. Oh, Miss Derwin, this is Mr. Crittenden. How do you Mrs. do? Mrs. Farnham's attorney. How do you do? 
Could I uh, bring you gentlemen anything? Uh, nothing for me, thank you. Now, please sit down and relax. You've had quite a shock. Yes, sit down, Miss Derwin. Thank you. Well, there seems to be nothing to do but wait. Uh, I'm a fuss budget about these things, perhaps, but that bust of Shakespeare on the bookcase, isn't it in a rather precarious position? What? Oh, no, I never noticed uh, Right over your head there. It makes me nervous. I, I'll, I'll slide it back. Yeah, rather a top-heavy thing. Look out, George! My, that was close. Barely missed you. I'm sorry. No harm done. Lucky you had the presence of mind to call out, Miss Derwin. What was it you called, Mr. Preley? Well, I, uh, I didn't call him anything. Look I, out, I just... Dort, was what you said. Why did you call him Dort? Well, I... It was just an exclamation. She saw the statue topple and over. And called you by your real name? Uh, Mr. Crittenden, I'm afraid I don't quite see the reason for all this. This peculiar questioning with my aunt lying out there dead. Mr. Brayley. You said this, uh, Derwin came recommended by an employment agency. That's right. Yesterday I checked every agency in town. There was no Rena Derwin registered with any of them. That's not true. You checked into the San Martin Hotel only the day before you reported here for your interview. Well, that doesn't One mean... of my assistants is checking those references you gave. Mr. Crittenden, being my aunt's attorney, that doesn't give you the right to insult her employees. Now, just what are you trying to prove? I had a talk with Mrs. Parker the other Mrs. day. Mrs. Parker? Oh, she's sore because she got fired. So she tries to create distrust and suspicion of this girl who took her place. I've known Mrs. Parker for years. There was no physical or emotional reason why she should suddenly turn into an absent-minded, careless, incompetent... Nevertheless, she did. Dr. Davis... I talked you. to Dr. Davis. And he's of the opinion that somebody in this house engineered things so Mrs. Parker would be asked to leave. I'm sure my aunt would resent your prying into the affairs of her household. I'm afraid you're mistaken. This prying, as you call it is made at your aunt's request. What do you mean? She telephoned me yesterday afternoon to tell me about a strange doubt, a suspicion. About what? About you. Me? She suddenly was disturbed by the horrible feeling that you are an imposter. And she thought that I w was... <laughs> Why, that's absurd. Is it? Your recollections of your childhood here were quite convincing, except for one or two things. Look, this is all very... <laughs> Oh, you mean my fear of cats? But, well, look, people get over these childish phobias. Yes, after more all, than was... that. Remember a drawing she showed you? A watercolor of a cow? Sure, a green cow. What about and it? And the scarves? Remember you thought the green and red would go better with her robe than the blue and yellow one? So what? Doesn't it strike you as peculiar that a boy who could draw quite a fine cow should paint it green and then years later be so exacting about harmonizing his aunt's scarf? You see, John Braley was colorblind. Suspense. In which Mr. Glenn Ford starred in William N. Robeson's production of... Murder and Andelia by Lou Houston. Listen. Listen again next week when we return with 227 minutes of Hate by Sam Pierce. Another tale well calculated to keep you in... Suspense. Supporting Mr. Ford in Murder and Andelia were Ellen Morgan, Lillian Bayef, Shepard Menken, and Herb Butterfield. Music composed by Lucian Morawieck and conducted by Wilbur Hatch.
has been brought to you through the worldwide facilities of the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service. Outstanding theater of thrills, the master of mystery and adventure, William N. Robeson. They say there's a thin line between love and hate. And if it's true that it's love that makes the world go round, perhaps hate could bring it to a standstill. It's been tried with rather tedious frequency for the past several thousand years. And if the haters keep at it, they may finally make it. Unless, as in the upcoming play, love once more triumphs. Listen, then as Charles McGraw stars in 227 Minutes of Hate, a tale well calculated to keep you in... Suspense. You look at the calendar hanging on the wall and you wonder if it's you or the day that makes it look so uninspiring. And you decide it's the calendar. They just aren't making good calendars anymore. You squirm around in your chair and take a look at the clock... 11.44. 11.44 of a Friday morning that shouldn't have happened. It's that dull. You swing back to your desk and pick up the phone. Detective Bureau, Lieutenant McDougal speaking. Hello, Lieutenant. This is Bill Rand out at the Hillway Airport. Yes, Mr. Rand. What can we do for you? Well, I want to report a stolen plane. I see. A what? An airplane. It's been stolen. I want to report it. Well, now, look, Mr. Rand, we, we take reports on stolen articles here, cars, things like that, but a stolen airplane... I know there isn't much anyone can do about a stolen plane, but the trouble is, it's in the air. Well, that figures. The man who's flying it can't fly. Well, in that case, you have nothing to... What? I tried to stop him, but he had a gun. Oh, now, just a minute, Mr. Rand. Suppose we begin at the beginning. Well, this guy, he goofs around the field all the time, one of those hangar flyers. But today he showed up around 11 o'clock and said he decided to start taking lessons. So I... Hold it, Mr. Rand, just a moment. Frank! Yeah, Mac. Get on the extension and take this report. Okay. Now, Mr. Rand, what was the man's name? Regan. Charles Regan. Uh, his address? 423... Excuse me, Mr. Rand. My other phone's ringing. You go ahead and give the report to the sergeant. I'll be back with you in a minute. Okay. Hello. Detective Bureau, Lieutenant McDougal speaking. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Now, wait a moment. Where are you calling from? Yeah, I see. Yeah. Yeah, all right. Yeah, all right, fine, Mrs. Stevens. We'll see what we can do right away, and thanks for calling. Uh, Mr. Rand. Yes, Lieutenant? I think we found your plane. Oh, that's great. Where is it? Well, the lady I just talked to wasn't too accurate, but according to her, it was flying up and down in front of her house on Delaplane Avenue. Flying up and down? <laughs> well, that's the lady's way of putting it. I figure what she meant was that it was buzzing the street in front of her house. Good Lord, Lieutenant, he's liable to crash that thing. You've got to do something. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right, Mr. Rand, but there's, there's only one thing I'd like to ask you. Yes? What would you suggest? Yeah, the man's right. You've got to do something. But what? Reach out with a long arm and pluck the plane out of the sky? 
put out a call to the radio cars and tell them to bring in an idiot in a stolen plane? You look at the report that Frank's taken and you try to figure out your first move. Any move. Here's a fellow's name and address. Yeah, it's probably a phony. No, I don't think so, Lieutenant. Rand said he got it off the man's driver's license. Yeah, well, we can take a run out there, I guess, but it isn't going to help us to get him down. Did Rand say anything to you about why he thought the guy wanted the plane? No, no. He, he said he acted fine until they got out to the takeoff line and warmed up the engine. Then he said the guy suddenly pulled this gun out and shoved it in his ribs and told him to get out. Mm-hmm. So he got out. What would you do, Lieutenant? I'd get out. I'll get it with you, Frank. Yeah. Uh, Detective Bureau, Sergeant Kelly speaking. Yes, sir. Yes, we've already got a report on that, sir. Where are you calling from? The courthouse? Yes, sir. Yes, we'll do all we can, sir. Thank you. Now what? The plane just rolled its wheels on the roof of the courthouse. They got a panic on their hands down there. All right, Frank, get out a bulletin to the civil defense people. Alert the fire department, the sheriff's office, all of our cars. Tell them what we've got and to expect anything. I'm going to see if the Air Force can help us. You grab your phone and call the air base on the edge of town. It takes a little doing, but finally you get a colonel who's interested but firm. Look, Lieutenant, I assure you we'd like to help, but what can we do? Well, I thought maybe you could scramble a couple of your planes and, well... Well, sort of head him off, make him go away from the city. I'm afraid our jets can't fly that slow, Lieutenant. Yeah, yeah, I I see what you mean. Only somebody's got to do something to get this guy down before he kills a lot of people. Has he got a radio on his plane? I don't know. Wait a minute, hold on a minute, Colonel. Frank, did Rand say anything about a radio in the plane? He didn't mention it, Lieutenant. We don't know, Colonel. Well, I was thinking that if he had a radio and he had it turned on the tower frequency, we could contact him from here, at least talk to him. Well, look, can you try it? If you can get him, maybe we can make him see what he's doing. What's the number and make of his ship? Uh, oh, wait a minute. I got it here in the report somewhere. Oh, yeah, yeah here it is. It's a, it's a Cessna single engine, number N4091. Is that what you want? That's it. If you want to wait on the phone, I'll have the tower put out a call right away. Yeah, yeah, fine. I'll wait. You sit there waiting for the colonel to come back and... The minutes tick by, and you try to figure out some way to do this thing right, and you can't. If he has a radio, if he has the radio turned on, if, why would he have it on? You listen to the phones, and you hear Frank and the other people in the office taking calls. They're coming in faster now, and they're all about the same thing. An airplane with a fool in it who seems to be trying to kill himself. Trying to kill himself, of course. But you can talk suicides out of it. You've done it more than once. Then the colonel's back on the phone again. No luck, Lieutenant. He either doesn't have a radio or he doesn't have it turned on. We called him on all the frequencies and there was no answer. I'm sorry. Yeah, well, well, thanks for trying anyway, Colonel. You, You might keep calling. I'll do that. And if we raise him, where can we reach you? Call the detective bureau and ask for me. They can get me in my car if I'm out. And thanks, incidentally, very much. Hello, Mr. Rand. This is Lieutenant McDougal. Oh, yeah, Lieutenant. You got a line on my plane yet? Now, listen, Rand. Did that ship have a radio in it? Yes. Well, good. Was it turned on? Yeah. You sure? Well, sure, I'm sure. I turned it on myself. Well, the airbase tower's been trying to reach the plane. It doesn't answer. It doesn't answer? Oh, wait a minute. I remember. While we were taxiing out to the flight line, I turned it down. Why? Well, I'd already gotten tower clearance. Well, but if it's on, why can't this character hear it? The engine noise would be too loud. 
Oh, oh, great. Okay, Mr. Rand, thanks. Frank. Yes, Lieutenant. We can't do anything here but answer phones. Let's take a ride out to the guy's address and see what we can find. Maybe he's got a wife that can tell us something. Such as what? Such as how do I know such as. But we can't sit around here waiting until he's crashed. At least we might find out why he's doing what he's doing. Okay, Lieutenant. Come on, let's go. Nice-looking place. Yeah, I hope someone's home. Yes? Mrs. Regan? Yes? I'm Lieutenant McDougal. This is Sergeant Kelly. Police? We're from the Detective Bureau. Your husband is Charles Regan? Yes, that's right, but... I wonder if we could talk to you for a moment, Mrs. Regan, about your husband. Well, well, yes, of course, but is something wrong? Is he hurt? <laughs> no, not yet, Mrs. Regan, but... but... Tell me, has he ever flown an airplane? Charles? Why, no. Oh, he, he sometimes goes out and hangs around the airport out at Hillway, but... Oh, but he's never flown a plane. I don't think he's even been up in one. Well, can you think of any reason why he might want to take a plane? Take a plane? Fly one, Mrs. Regan. You know, take it up into the air. Now, what's this all about? These questions don't make any sense. Well, what's happened doesn't make sense to us either. Your husband went out to the Hillway Airport less than an hour ago, Mrs. Regan, and took an airplane away from the flying instructor. And he flew off in it. Oh, what? He could kill himself. You know any reason why your husband would want to... Kill himself, Mrs. Regan? Well, no. Everything all right between the two of you? I resent that, Lieutenant. I'm sorry, ma'am, but sometimes we have to ask questions like of that. Of course everything is all right between us, only... Only what? Well, Chuck... Chuck doesn't like people much. He sort of feels everyone's against him. He's so full of hate. And then this morning... What happened this morning? He was fired. He came home around 10.30 and told me he was fired. Where did he work? At the television station. And what kind of work did he do there? Well, he, he's sort of an idea man. He thinks up scripts and ideas and all. He has a lot of talent. I'm sure he has, ma'am. Somehow they just don't appreciate him. When they fired him this morning, it was the last straw. He, he was like somebody I didn't know. I'll show them, he said. I'll show them I hate them. I hate them all. Does he hate you, Mrs. Regan? Oh, no, Lieutenant. No, Chuck loves me. Oh, no, I can't believe it. Of course, my, my husband was upset, almost sick maybe, but he wouldn't do anything like this. Wouldn't he? Well, look up there. N-4091. That's the plane, Lieutenant. Is that your husband, Mrs. Regan? Yes. Yes, I can see him. He's waving to me. Chuck! And now, we continue with 227 Minutes of Hate, starring Charles McGraw, a tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. Now you have a little more to go on. Not much, but a little. Now you know that Charles Regan is sick with hate. A hate that has given him the nerve to steal an airplane and the courage to fly it. Hate that may destroy him and who knows how many other people. You have to know more about this sick man before you can even begin to help him. And you haven't much time. 
His gas tank is racing the second hand right toward death. So you tell Mrs. Regan to stay near a phone in case you need her. And your next stop is the television station where Regan was employed up until this morning. The picture becomes a little more clear as you talk with the station manager, Carl Van Alden. He must be crazy. He's got to be. Why did you fire him, Mr. Alden? I didn't fire him. I let him go. Why? Well, don't you try to implicate me in this insanity. But why did you let him go? He couldn't cut the mustard. I understand from his wife that he had a lot of talent. Well, I'm the judge of talent around here. And in my book, if I ran this station on the judgment of housewives, I wouldn't be in business very long. Has Regan been back around here yet? Back here? You said he was up in the air. Well, that's exactly what I mean. Back around here in that plane. Why should he come back here? Well, I've got the impression that Regan's awfully sore at someone. And my hunch is that that someone is you. A man has the right to run his business as he sees fit. Oh, of course, Mr. Van Alden. And a man has a right to get mad about the way you run your business. Now, if the man is mad enough to go out and steal a plane, he can't... Crazy enough, you mean? Perhaps. If a man is that mad, I got a funny feeling he wouldn't stop there. What are you driving at? I have a feeling that a man that full of hate would... Well, he would go for the man who hurt him. Hurt? Yeah, hurt. Like the guy who fired him. If I were that mad, I might even fly my airplane into the building where he worked. Nonsense. Well, well, maybe. But if I were you, I'd start thinking about evacuating this place. Evacuate? Evacuate the building? Why, that's absurd. Not if someone's thinking about flying an airplane down your throat. Lieutenant McDougal, you're a policeman. Naturally, you think of things from your point of view. But think of mine for a minute. I thought I was. Oh, I don't mean my personal safety. I have a public trust. I must stay on the air. And then, well, think of the miserable publicity the station would get if all of a sudden, in, in the middle of a broadcasting day, I shut down and ordered everyone to leave the building. Why, it could be embarrassing. It could be pretty embarrassing, Mr. Van Alder, if you didn't order your people out and your former employee flew his airplane right through your roof and killed them all. He wouldn't dare. He might. Well, I won't do it, Lieutenant. I will not be intimidated by a crazy man. Besides, I don't think he has the nerve. He had the nerve to steal the plane, and he saw at you. And he's flying around over the city like a punch-drunk moth. You don't think he'll do it? Well, I do. And I hope above everything else that I'm wrong. I'll put out some bulletins, Lieutenant. Warn the people about what's going on. I'll use what facilities I can. Do a public service job. But I will not order an evacuation. That I will not do. Okay, at least it might have... You got an antenna on the top of this building, Mr. Van Alden? Uh, Yes, of course. Two of them, as a matter of fact. Well, I think your friend just flew between them. He flies pretty good for a guy that doesn't know how to fly. But he can't do that. He he might hit them. He might... He might even want to, if he's a sore Jew, as I think he is. Well, you've got to do something. Yeah, yeah, I know. In fact, I heard that somewhere else today. And you know what, Mr. Van Alden? What? I'm beginning to get a little tired of it. Yeah, you're getting a little tired of it and very tired of Van Alder. You can almost begin to feel sorry for Regan. But then he makes another pass in hours. You forget about being sorry for him. Matter of fact, you start thinking about getting out of there. Then Van Alder's secretary buzzes him and says there's a phone call for you. And you pick up the phone and the colonel of the Air Force. I'm glad I found you, Lieutenant. We've made contact with the plane. You have? Yes, we got on the radio. He answered our call, and we've got him on the tower frequency. Look, look, that's great. Now, just keep him occupied. Keep him talking. Say anything to keep him from thinking up new stunts in that thing. Uh, Can you do that? We can try, Lieutenant. I'll be there as fast as I can make it. Uh, 
Air Force 306. You're clear for straight-in approach. Traffic, 3F86 outbound. 1T33 on final. Over. Roger, clear for straight-in approach. Air Force 306. Hello, Hello, Lieutenant. I'm glad you got here so fast. You still got him, Colonel? Yeah, we've been talking to him. He's not too receptive. How'd you get him to turn up his radio? Must have been a fluke. Evidently, he made a fairly steep dive on something, and when he pulled up, his knee hit the volume knob. First thing we knew, he answered one of our calls. Why, well, look, I want to talk to him. Can you get him for me? Sure. Try the Cessna again, will you, Sergeant? Yes, sir. Hello, Cessna. 4091. This is Air Force Tower calling. Calling Cessna 4091. Come in, please, Cessna. Over. Hello, Air Force. This is me. What's on your mind now? Let me have that mic. Hello. Regan, can you hear me, Regan? I'm Lieutenant McDougal of the Detective Bureau. Now listen, Regan. I want you to fly that plane away from the city. Sorry, Lieutenant. I'm kind of getting a like it up here over the city, and I'm going to stay here. Look, Regan, you've got to think of the people who are going to get killed if you crash that thing into a building. I've been thinking of them, Lieutenant. And I'm sorry for them, but I got something to do that's more important. Listen to me, Regan. Go ahead. Kill yourself if that's what you want to do. But don't kill a lot of innocent people while you're doing it. Lieutenant, you're wasting your time. I'm getting so I can aim this plane pretty well. As soon as I get tired of flying it around the city, I'm going to fly it right into those towers on top of the television station. I've been pretty close a couple of times. When I get ready, I won't be close. I'll be right on target. Regan. Regan, you're acting like a kid who lost his lollipop. So you got fired. A lot of people get fired. A lot of people get fired and don't deserve it. But they don't go out and try to kill everybody. If you say you can aim that plane pretty well, okay. Okay, aim it towards the Air Force base on the edge of town. You ought to be able to find it. We'll get the crash trucks out and we'll do everything we can to... Save it, Lieutenant, save it. If you want to use those crash trucks, send them over to the television station. I'll give them a show they won't forget for a long time. Now, knock it off. You bore me. Regan. Regan. Listen, Regan. Answer me. His radio's still on, sir. I can hear the carrier hum. Yeah. yeah. Frank. Yeah, Lieutenant. Get on the phone and tell the boys to start evacuating the television station immediately. Right. And ask Radio Central to get a car to Mrs. Regan's house and bring her out here. Tell them to hurry. Maybe she can talk some sense into him. You light a cigarette and stand in the control tower listening to the babble of voices from the sky. And you try to think what you've left undone. The clock says 2.14. Two hours and 29 minutes since that phone call that started this nightmare. And you're no better off now than you were then. You suddenly think of Rand's report and the words gas aboard. Approximately three hours. If he'd only run out of gas in the country somewhere, but you know he won't. You know he means what he said about flying down into the towers. And you begin to get scared. moves around to 2.45. You've called Regan regularly, and he's answered twice. And his answers haven't helped. And then at last, Mrs. Regan arrives. Lieutenant, have you talked to him? Yes, Mrs. Regan, but he won't listen to me. Maybe he'll listen to you. Well, what can I tell him? You can, you can tell him you love him. You can tell him whatever a woman tells the man she's in love with that'll, that'll make him listen. Oh. There's very little time left. You're the last chance we have. Mrs. Regan, before you talk to him, I think you ought to know something. Yes. 
We've offered to help him land the plane here. We can do that. We've done it in bad weather with people who've had very little experience. Chuck's never flown before. I know, Mrs. Regan, but the main thing is to get him to come over here and make his try where we can help him. I want you to understand that we can help him if he'll let us. Yes, yes, thank you. We're going to call him now, Mrs. Regan. And if he doesn't answer me, I'll give you the mic. You can call him, okay? Yes, 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 all right. All right. Hello, Regan. Regan, this is Tower calling you, Regan. Can you hear me? Regan, your wife is here and wants to talk to you. You tried, Mrs. Regan. Maybe he's not even up there anymore. Maybe... Maybe. But all we can do is try, Mrs. Regan. Now, please. Like this? Yes, yes, that's right. Just talk into the mic and ask him to answer you. Yes. Chuck. Chuck, please. If you hear me, please answer me. I hear you, Lil. Listen, honey, just go away, please, and let me work this out my own way. Chuck, they can help you land your plane if you let them. Chuck, please, please, darling, do what they tell you. Well, baby, I'm I'm, I'm sorry. I told you how I felt about the job. I, I told you what they were trying to do to me. Darling, they weren't doing anything personal to you. Maybe they didn't understand you, but... Uh, they, they talk, but they never come through. Well, I'm going to come through for them, Lil. I'm going to put this thing right down their throats. I'll give them something to remember Charlie Regan for. He's getting hysterical, Mrs. Oh. Regan. Make him mad or something. Say something to get him back. Chuck! Chuck, please! You can work somewhere else. You can get another job. You've got talent. And you're young. And I love you. I love you. Lil? Lil, baby. Oh, listen, baby, I, I don't want to hurt you. I never wanted to do anything to hurt you. Yeah, I, I gotta do this now, don't you see? I, I can't quit this time. You won't be quitting. You'll be winning, Chuck. Don't you see, darling? You'll be winning. Oh, baby, I don't want to hurt you. Bring the plane over here, Chuck. Please let them help you. Please. But I... I, I don't know whether I can do it. I don't know whether I, I, I could get the thing down even if I could find the field. You can try, Chuck. You can try. Oh. Okay. Okay, I'll try it. And, and honey. Yes. Yes, darling. I, I'm, I'm not mad anymore. I'm just scared. And if I don't make it, please know I, I, I didn't want to hurt you. I, I, I never wanted to hurt you. I know. I know. I don't think you ever wanted to hurt anybody. We better try to get him over here. He hasn't got much gas left. Right. Take over, Sergeant. Talk him down. Yes, sir. Hello, Regan. Can you read me? Can you hear me all right? Yeah. I can hear you. Okay. Now, I want you to do just as I tell you. First, climb slowly up to 3,000 feet. Can you do that? 
says, 1500 now. Is that the right one? It should be. Watch it as you climb and see if it goes up. Yeah, I've been watching it. It, it goes up and down when I do. Okay, that's the one. Now, can you see the field from where you are? Look around carefully and see if you can see a big spread-out field with several runways. Long concrete strips. Yeah. Yeah, I can see it. You're pretty far away, but I, I think you're what I see. Okay, now keep climbing and steer towards us. Just take it easy and I'll tell you what to do. Now, I want you to get used to some of the things you're going to have to do when you start letting down for your landing. First, there's a small lever or a wheel. You watch in complete fascination as the sergeant speaks. Find it calmly, quietly, almost hypnotically. It's a lever. He makes it sound easy, almost like driving a car, and you begin to have hope. You actually begin to dare to hope that you'll work this thing out, get this kid down out of trouble. You see what you're flying. You look at the clock, and it's three oh seven. Yeah, it's sort of scattered houses and, and what looks like a dry riverbed. Fine. You're about halfway here. Now, when I tell you, I want you to slow down and pull that lever down. I'll tell you when, but think about it so you can do it. Hey, the engine's sputtering. I think it's quitting. Listen to me, Regan. If it quits, keep the nose down and don't slow down under 80. It's quit. It's, it's all finished. Head for the river bottom. Keep the speed at 80 and head for the river bottom. If you can get there, slow down by easing back on the wheel and let her lose speed when you're right on the sand. I can't do it. I don't think I can do it. Chuck, please try. Please. I love you. What's his chances, Sarge? He could make it. He could make it if he remembers to kill his speed. I don't know. Don't worry, he'll make it, Mrs. Regan. I, I'm sure he'll make it. <laughs> you say the words, but you don't feel them. You wish you could believe them, but who's kidding? A guy in an airplane crash landing in a riverbed. You know there's not much chance. And you stand there waiting. And time keeps running, but for you and Mrs. Regan, it's run out. And then the colonel picks up a phone that suddenly rings and he's excited. And he hands the phone to you and you listen to a voice on the other end. He came right down over to my house and banged down on the alfalfa. I thought he was going to take the roof off. How about the pilot? Is he hurt? I don't figure he is. Won't get out of the plane, but he don't seem to be hurt. Just sits there staring out the window. Plane ain't hurt much neither, as far as I can see. It just come down and skidded around a little and stopped. He must be a right good pilot to bring that thing down like that. Real good. Yeah. Even better than you know. We'll be right out to get him, and thanks for calling. Well, you hang up the phone and reach for a cigarette. And you take the first real breath you've had since 11.44 that morning. Three hours and 47 minutes of fear and terror for hundreds of helpless people because some guy let his hate get away from him. 227 minutes of hate. And you look at Mrs. Regan and 
You remember the way she sounded when she talked to her husband. Somehow you feel that it'll work out okay for Chuck Regan. Now that he's got rid of his hate. <laughs>